You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be joined by Curtis Reynolds of Ontario, Canada, and he's going to talk to us about a seven-year journey for a six-point buck. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, seven years for six points, man, seems like a lot, but this is a big six-pointer, awesome story, tons of history with this deer, and so this actually might break a record um, for the oldest buck with the lowest score the the oldest most mature buck with the lowest score and so uh we we joke about that on today's podcast man we talk about it all we talk about when he found out about this deer uh his encounters believe it or not he missed it once before uh before this past or before this year where he ended up uh cracking him on opening day and so we go through this seven-year history, talk about the sheds, talk about the uh, the shift in uh, core range. We talked about we talk about the landscape. We talk about everything. All right, just everything you need to know in a really good deer hunting story, uh, and uh, Curtis does that for us. So. I know you're going to like this uh, this episode. Now, before we get into today's episode, though, I uh, I gotta I gotta catch you guys up on what's kind of going on in my world right now, and that is zero hunting time, and it's by choice, right? Um, when this episode launches, it will be Wednesday, I think the 11th or something like that, and I will be sitting in my office doing exactly what I've been doing all fall so far prepping everything getting ready for the big push late october into uh early november and and beyond so the goal is the the goal is here is to just bide my time right there's a huge cold front that came through and on friday uh friday's episode this week we're going to talk into detail about this cold front with my buddy jeremy dinsmore from the antler up podcast and we just we kind of break it down we kind of talk about like 
who does an early October cold front truly benefit? Those those types of conversations along with, you know, does a cold front in early October, like, like, or what happens if that cold front comes during the October lull? Like, or whenever, you know, some people think the October lull. So we have a really good conversation there. Man, I am shooting my bow. Uh, I'm getting ready. Uh, I'm slowly weeding through equipment. Not this weekend, but next weekend, my wife goes away on a little girl's trip for like one night. And then when she gets back, then I'm going to South Dakota. And uh, I'm going to try to kill a mule deer, man. That's the goal, right? I just want to kill one mule deer. That way I can say I'm multi- I'm a multiple species hunter and, and <laughs> if nothing else. But I'm really looking forward to, to this. This is the latest I've ever been to South Dakota. So I'm hoping to see a little bit of rutting activity uh, and maybe them pushing around some, some does, really getting, uh, really getting to see maybe some bigger age class, bigger antler deer up on their feet this time frame and not hiding in all the, the nooks and crannies. So, uh, but I might have to deal with some weather as well. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. And then, you know, I got my, sh- my, my two shooters on two different properties. You know, I wish I could say I had multiple shooters this year, but each property this year so far has one shooter. My new farm might have two. But I'm not 100% sure yet. Uh, it could have been a fluke. Uh, I've got one set of pictures of him. It hasn't been anything regular. But, you know, as we get closer to the rut, that could change too. So before we get into uh, today's episode, I'm just going to run through all of the partners of this podcast real quick. Um, if you're looking for a, if you're looking for a saddle or saddle hunting accessories or climbing sticks or how to educate yourself on saddle hunting, go to tetherednation.com. Go check them out. Uh, Wasp Archery, in my opinion, some of the best broadheads on the market. Absolutely love the blood trails and the damage that a, a wasp does. Uh, WaspArchery.com. Uh, discount code NFC20. If you're looking for vor- like any type of optics, Vortex Optics is going to offer you uh, rifle scopes, red dots, range finders, binocular spotting scopes. Uh, go check those out. Uh, check out the brand new Triumph HD. And then they also have a brand new youth model as well that they're, they're promoting along with uh, a really cool apparel line. Uh, code Blue uh, Sense, uh, CodeBlueSense.com. Discount code NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, these guys have all your scent elimination products like laundry detergent, um, deodorant, uh, like the scent sprays if you're into that. Uh, I, this year, messed around a lot with their uh, scrape kit. Their, it's called the Ropadope with the orbital gland uh, scent in it. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that in the next couple weeks I can get out to some of these farms, check the mock scrapes that I have uh, that I have set up and we'll kind of see how that you know how all that turns out uh, Woodman's Pal uh, while I'm out there hacking away at stuff you know cleaning shooting lanes cleaning uh, bushes and, and chopping vines and, and making access routes and, and all this stuff I got the Woodman's Pal in my backpack uh, Woodman'sPal.com uh, I mean this it's very it's a 
USA made product. It looks kind of like a machete. They call it a habitat tool, but this company's been around since 1941, man. Really, really awesome product. Keep it in your truck, keep it in your pack. And then last but not least, man, uh, I'm, it's, it's camo season, right? Or it's, it's hunting season. And so whether you're like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of solids, but I also, I still wear camo. And so Huntworth offers a variety of camel patterns. They offer solid uh, colors. They offer very durable equipment. Uh, some people have said that it is, it's like 80 to 90% of the quality of some of the elite brands, but 50% of the cost. And so what that gives you is a really affordable, really high quality product for the price and uh so go to go to huntworthgear.com check out all of the the early mid and coming up you know it's uh cold you know it's uh, gonna get cold and they have some heat boost technology so go check that out and then last but not least new product on the uh nine finger chronicles and that it, uh, is the the company that i started full sneak gear so if you are looking for a nine finger chronicles hat i've only made one so far and it is currently for sale at fullsneakgear.com while you're there uh, check out the other t-shirts that are available a couple different options in a couple different colors and uh, it's something that's going to be growing in the future there will be hoodies there will be stocking caps there, there will be flannels and uh, it's going to be a true lifestyle brand and, and so i hope that uh, uh, you guys go take a look at it i'd appreciate it so uh, there's that and uh, man I, I have to say this now because um probably you probably don't listen all the way to the end of the podcast but at uh, at the end of every podcast i say wear your damn safety harness uh it's very important right not only for your safety but if if something happens to you let's say if let's say my dumbass didn't wear a safety harness and i fell out of a tree and i broke my neck and i become paralyzed or worse yet dead how am i going to raise my kids when you're dead right or you're paralyzed right it becomes really difficult to do that and so, and so this wearing a, a tree stand isn't, or wearing a safety harness isn't about you per se. Yes, it's important. Yes, it, it's for safety, but it's also for your family and your loved ones and the people who rely on you on a daily basis. So wear your damn safety harness. And then uh, at the end of the day, man, it's all about positive energy and good vibes. I'm a, I'm a huge, like good vibe guy. Like anytime I hear my buddy going through, my buddy's going through like a rough patch. Hey dude, sending good vibes your way. Anytime I hear, like, I hate to say it, but like some of my friends' parents are starting to get old, right? And I've had a couple, you know, friends that I grew up with whose parents have passed away. And so now I am sending good vibes their way. I'm sending positive energy to the people who need it. And uh, if you guys could do that to the people that you love who need it, man, it just snowballs and then the world's just obviously a better place. So good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you on the back. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today I am joined by someone from the great white north of Canada, Ontario, Canada, to be specific, Curtis Reynolds. Curtis, man, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah. And uh, we're, today we're going to talk about 
how do I how do I say this? The largest, lowest scoring buck I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. He is uh one he is the biggest six point I have ever laid my hands on. Um yeah, it was he's definitely an overly mature buck and and was pretty pumped to get him. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so we're going to be uh, talking, breaking down that story, talking about where you hunt, how you hunt, uh, all that stuff today. But uh, before we get into that, what do you do for a living, man? Uh, So I actually, I've been at a uh, lumber distribution uh, company um, for 19 years now. Uh, I run a crew of 17 guys. Um, We supply a lot of construction material, um, to our surrounding area. Um, so it does work out pretty nice that we start to slow down this time of year. And, and, uh, I usually take six, usually about six weeks off in the fall to, uh, to chase whitetail. So that's awesome. it works out pretty good. Are you, are yeah. you, do you work one of those jobs where you're just putting in a shit ton of hours throughout the summer, you know, spring, summer, early fall. And then once it starts getting cold and snow on the ground, then you guys are pretty much shut down. A hundred percent. Like okay. we're pretty decent. We're pretty decently busy through the winter, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm usually there at 4am in the morning till, till, you know, five o'clock at night throughout the summer and spring. And then, uh, yeah, it just, like I said, it works out that, yeah. uh, we start to slow down and, and I get, I get all my time off that I want. So, so are, are, are you and your crew like true lumberjacks where you're going into the woods and chopping <laughs> down giant trees? No, we're nope. like we're the we're the last part of it. We're uh, we eat a lot of pancakes and syrup, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but not like flannel and axe and I gotcha. everything. No, no, unfortunately, man, we're the last we're the last part of it. So we just we get the milled lumber and finished product and get it to where it's got to be. Gotcha. So. Okay. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, I got uh, man. I was in between jobs. Oh, this was several years ago. This would have been twelve to 12 to 13 years ago and i was in between jobs and one of my buddy's stepdads um work his family owned a lumber yard or a lumber company and so he's he offered me a position to be an estimator basically you walk Mm -hmm. into someone's property you check how many trees they have that would be worth cutting what the value of those would be and then you know, give it to the landowner and the landowner says yes or no, right. On yeah. whether or not they want to, you know, timber their property. And so I thought that would be, I thought, man, that would be an absolutely amazing job to have, especially for someone who's a deer hunter because of all the, con- yep. all the connections <laughs> that you, you could make doing something like that. And uh, yeah. I, I've talked to a couple of the guys in the lumber industry that, that do the upfront stuff, like the cutting of trees and, and the estimating and stuff like that. And they, they've said that it's a great, it's a great opportunity to get on some properties with some really good deer hunt, hunting on it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's funny cause I'm on the other spectrum of that. I, I deal with a lot of customers, a lot of guys building barns and, yeah. and homes and, and, you know, building these prop building these properties up and you know you get that rapport with them and then hey um you know so you, you let anybody hunt um yeah. you know and, and yeah it's worked out pretty good through the years for that way too so. that's awesome man that's awesome all right yeah uh ontario canada how yes sir com- compare ontario the size of ontario to maybe 
if you're, you know, a state you might be familiar with in, in the United States? Um, I'd say, I mean, Wisconsin's pretty big, I believe. I, I We'd be kind of equal to that. Okay. Um, takes you a while. Like, we can drive, I can drive 20, 27 hours north to Moose Hunt and still be in Ontario. Okay. So... All right, so you're in the southeastern part of Ontario then? Yes. Yeah, yeah. we're in like Eggland. Okay. Like big time Eggland. It's it's yeah. Um a lot of big fields, um small blocks of woods uh that are connected by a lot of drainage ditches. So you can break break a property up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um so yeah. I dude, I'm looking at a map now and I think like Ontario it would be the size of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, <laughs> and Illinois combined. So, yeah. so it's yeah, Crazy. yeah, it's pretty big. Um, and so I take it throughout the entire span of Ontario, like deer all over it, or do do the whitetail shut off after a while? Um, no, it's uh, the more you get north, like um, the south. South, southeastern, southwestern part, um, that's kind of your deer land. The more north you get, um, the deer shut off. The moose get heavy. Um, the deer used to be more north, but they don't coincide with the moose very well yeah. in Ontario. So they just shove them right out. Um, so, yeah. No, it's it's more the southern part of Ontario that, that holds the deer. Gotcha. Do you guys have elk anywhere in there? We do. Um, the ministry released them, kind of build the herd back up in Bancroft, which is, I'd say, about a two and a half, three hour drive from us. Um, they released them, I think, 10 years ago, and the herd's been growing and growing. Um, and it's a very selective hunt right now. Yep. Um, only a certain amount of tags get handed out, but the herd is, is growing and developing. So. Within the next ten years, we should have a pretty regular, regular hunt for quite a few guys. Oh, that's awesome! So, yeah, yeah, they're doing that a lot in the United States as well. Where, I mean, Missouri, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, your yeah. non-traditional states—they're—they're they're, uh, the herds building up to where more and more guys seem like they're going to be able to hunt that anymore. I think. I think, you know. Yeah. Really, the Appalachian states are perfect for. I mean, I can see Tennessee and West Virginia and and possibly Virginia and, and North Carolina being yeah. able to do an elk hunt at some point. Yeah, and it, it's neat because, like I said, like three hours from here is where they've got the elk right now, and 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 it's it's goes from flat ag land where we are to dense cedar like big ridges like the landscape changes so much just yeah. in that little short time frame that that they've done really well in it yeah. so it's nice to see that's awesome all right so all right are you how, how far are you from the united states um i am from the michigan border we like i could be in michigan in nine hours okay so you're on the east the eastern side northeastern side of ontario yeah so do you know where toronto is yep or like yep yeah so i'm i'm about three and a half hours east of 
Toronto. Well, okay. I'm basically right in the right in the middle of Ottawa and Toronto. Okay. So, so you're yeah. you're close to Lake Ontario. Yes, sir. Okay. I actually like I our properties, some of our properties are right on Lake Ontario. Oh, that's awesome. So Okay. Yeah, I grew up duck hunting, duck hunting Lake Ontario, Bay of Quinney. It's all right there, man. It's all accessible to us within a five minute drive. Gotcha. All right, so talk to me a little bit about the terrain. Now, you mentioned you hunt this deer, you know, this specific deer, and where you hunt is ag. What kind of ag are you talking about? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, so we're talking a lot of our farms um, are top-notch, like high-quality, um, like their food-grade egg, right? Mm. So a lot of it gets shipped. Um, so it's it's premium wheat, grains, uh, soybeans, corn. Um, a lot of a lot of the farms around here they ship a lot of their hay, uh, real sweet, rich alfalfa to southern states for the racehorses so anything that these deer are eating it turns them into quality grade a beef yeah i got you they have they have some good uh good food there yes like i said and a lot of soybeans yeah a lot of soybeans what about corn how much corn you guys do have oh um i mean it's a lot it's true uh, all right so it's it's like just straight up true ag country hundred percent. Like it's, I mean, we got, we got a hundred acre fields, you know, back to back to back to back with, with corn, corn and beans is 90% of what you'll see. Gotcha. Okay. So that's just like here. Um, talk to us a little bit about the terrain in the area that you hunt. Is there a lot of it? Is it flat? So, uh, yeah, we don't have a ton of like, you know, quote unquote, big ridges in our area. Um, it's pretty flat. It's pretty chunked up. Um, little little blocks of hardwoods. Um, there's the odd little chunk of cedars, which is pretty much stay away. That's great bedding. Um, you don't touch those. Uh, a lot of drainage ditches, like grassy waterways that connect these blocks of woods. Um, so it, it really, like I said, it's, it's easy to break down a property and they're pretty easy to hunt um, because you know there are certain travel routes that they're not getting away from because yeah. of the way the terrain lays. Um, and like I said, in, in these little blocks of hardwoods, you know, we call them ridges. <laughs> they're really just kind of they're little hills, right? They're yeah. not they're not anything, but it it lays it out so you know they're gonna travel that a yeah. bit more and it is overall it's very very flat land i mean little blocks of woods adjacent on the edge of just huge huge ag fields yeah okay um and so talk to us a little bit about annually 
what you do for deer? I mean, are you a trail camera guy? Are you a scouting guy? Do you shed hunt? Do you do the full run the full <laughs> gamut or what's your strategy for every year? High well, le- high I, level. I tell you what, yeah, I tell you what, man, like, so like I said before, this, this deer is definitely a rebound buck uh, for me. Uh, it's been four years since I've harvested a buck and, and a good mature one at that. And, uh, um, a few years ago, about five years ago, a buddy and I started doing a lot of filming. Okay. Um, so we are very hardcore. We are very, very much trail camera guys. We do a lot of, a lot of lag work and, and I am a shed fanatic. We pick up, you know, between a hundred and 150 sheds a year. Um, we do a lot of footwork in the spring, uh, to figure out our deer for sure. Um, and like I said, I, I, I started relying a bit more, more than I should on trail cameras. Uh, yeah. this year I finally listened to my buddy and, and, uh, my wife actually, and, uh, I cut back on the trail cameras. Um, I found they, they started to give me a bit of, bit of hunt, hunter's fatigue almost. I was relying on them a bit too much. Okay. And then yeah, go into detail about that because there was a time when I, and I still might be doing that. I I feel like I still, I rely on trail cameras a lot to tell me um, what's going on 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 an annual pattern. But talk to us about what you're talking about where they, they can sometimes be a hindrance. Well, you, you start to rely on them, right? Like I, I know I started to rely on them way too much. Um, and I found that actually we did a lot of, started doing a lot of filming and, and put a lot of pressure on myself with that as well. And then, like I said, with the trail cameras, you know, you start to almost get a bit lazy. I found, yeah. you know, I put them in the same spots every year, year after year. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not getting, I'm not getting the pictures you know, what's going on and, and you start to fail to actually do your lag work. Yep. Um, yep. and then it, in, you know, if you walked another 50, 60 yards, they've switched their pattern just a little this year Yep. and you know, and you're just being a bit, a bit lazy and, and it starts to wear on you. And, um, so I really cut it down and, and you start to rely on them too. And, um, expect to get a certain amount of pictures and if you're not getting those pictures you're frustrated you're in there too much you're moving stuff around you're putting too much pressure on your deer pushing them around too much and uh yeah so i really cut it back on on trail cameras this year um i got back to doing a lot of leg work again Mm -hmm. that i wasn't doing in the past years and just had a select amount of trail cameras that I put in certain areas and, and it paid off, you know, I was, I buckled down, I was able to narrow down our more mature bucks again. And yeah. And it really paid off. Do you feel that sometimes, and I think you just described it, but I'll ask, ask the question anyway, that with all the gadgets out there, trail cameras included that hunters are looking for, I don't necessarily want to say a shortcut, but that's the first word that comes to my head um, to to apply. Like they're using trail cameras instead of woodsmanship. Do you feel like yeah. th- that's starting to happen more and more? 
hundred percent. It happened to me. Like I said, I, I invested way too much. Um, you know, yep. I invested way too much faith in my trail cameras. Yeah. And like you said, I stopped doing leg work and you know, perfect example is when I went in the night to harvest this buck, um, I hunted a pond and I checked the trail camera on the pond the front end of the pond and there hadn't been a picture in three weeks on that pond. Mm -hmm. And instantly I was, you know, defeated right there. Well, what am I doing in here? You know, like, okay, well, do I go to somewhere else? And then all of a sudden it was that voice that was like, no dummy, like Mm -hmm. take two seconds, look around. And all of a sudden the rest of the back three quarters of that pond was littered with fresh tracks. Yeah. Brand new trails. So it was like, okay, well, obviously I'm not getting pictures. They've switched their route, their routine. Mm-hmm. They're coming in from the back end of this pond. And you just set up according to, right? But in past years, I would have been frustrated. Okay, well, there's nothing on this trail camera. Off you go, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's it's an easy way out, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's definitely... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. I, I feel like trail cameras can... G- can give a guy a lot of information, especially if they're put at, put in well thought out, heavy traffic areas, but they yes. definitely do not paint the full picture of what deer, like the deer herd is doing in general, because man, I've seen, I've seen them take shortcuts. I've seen them take trails right behind my trail cameras. Um, the, the example that I always share is I was tra- trying to catch somebody steal my trail camera. All right. So I put another, another camera up in the tree facing down at the camera to try to catch this guy. Well, anyway, um, I ended up, um, I ended up getting pictures of one of my target bucks on multiple occasions. And I checked that camera in the tree after the season was over. One of my target bucks was walking behind that tree. I mean, from me to my computer away, walking behind it, not in front of it. So I was getting zero pictures of him, right? But I did. Yeah. I found that out after the season was over, and so I was <laughs> I was relying one hundred percent on what that trail camera was telling me, and so yeah, and so it just kind of opens your eyes, like man, it's just a small sliver of what's going on in the timber, man. Exactly, yeah. and and that's the thing too is you know you rely on that and and guys forget that man take take the five minutes to walk around an area and then do an observation sit you know you know forfeit a couple nights for observation sorry observation sits in different areas of that timber on different conditions like different winds and everything and just hone in off of that yeah you know it's you forget how to be primal i guess yeah you forget how to how to have that predator instinct yeah. come out again yeah and your eyes will your eyes will tell you a lot more than what those trail cameras will tell you man um yes. and oh, like everything you've just said kind of has hit home for me because i don't do as many observation sits anymore like i used to back in the day i think a lot of it has to do because i've learned my property uh and the properties yes. that i hunt i don't necessarily need to do observation sits, but I do feel that those op- that observation sits, especially if you don't understand your movement, are very, very important. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Okay. So, 
you're in you're in heavy ag country um you're mm-hmm. in uh, you're in it seems uh, what you've said is really flat terrain talk to us a little bit about this time of year specifically uh, and leading up to when when was your opening day uh it was october 1st october october 1st was your opening day so literally yep. 10 days ago basically is when you shot this deer okay yes sir okay so talk to us a little bit about what the deer are doing up there uh, as far as maybe a bed to food pattern if they have consistent bed to food patterns if they if they go back to the same location every single time or is it really based off wind uh break that down for us uh so this time of year is a li- usually a little easier we are having we have a cold front right now that's that's pushed in but um the opener of the season was unseasonably hot yeah. Like, I mean, real hot. So it did throw them off a little more. Usually, um, usually they are very much a predictable hangout in that tall grass, that staging area. Um, they like to stay in, in the, in the pinch points, like in those yep. corners of the bean fields of the corn fields. Um, you catch them a lot of this time of year coming out of corn bedding all day in that corn coming out to the bean fields. Yeah. Um, but that all, that all changed, right? O- opening day. Yeah. Uh, they were more so in the heavy canopy, staying cool in the hardwoods and staying on, on like acorns and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, but predominantly, yes, they are very much, they go to bed, Come out into the staging, come out into the, those corners of the fields, and it's pretty pretty predictable usually. Okay. So what's a what's your typical bedding area look like? Um, typical bedding area is either for us, it's usually pretty heavy cedar. Okay. Like it's it that's pretty typical. Um. I mean, we do have the odd hardwood ridge um, they'll sit up on, but 90% of the time, if you can find a patch of cedars, which 90% of the farms around here have, mm-hmm. that's what they're going to be bedded in. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So when did you start getting trail camera pictures of this deer? Is, is it this a multiple year deer with multiple uh, encounters and trail cam picks, or is this a, a first timer? No, this is so it was seven years ago. We started getting pictures of this spot seven on our seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. I'm interested here. Seven years. <laughs> that's a lot. That's, yeah, a, that's a long time. Yeah, this is a, so this is a property that uh, that my family's uh, had for thirty seven years now. Okay, and uh, so it's been pretty neat. So yeah, we uh, I started getting pictures of them seven years ago. Um, I've got six years worth of sheds off of them, and uh, not every year matches. Um, some years just you know left or right. But uh, enough to follow a story on them. Yeah. Um, I actually got an opportunity on the fall or the the far side of this farm uh, when he was five and a half, and I actually <laughs> I missed him. I was drawing, and a doe snorted behind me that I didn't see. 
He took about three bounds out. I guessed him at, at 35. Shot right underneath him. Um, threw him completely nocturnal the rest of that year and the following year. Uh, not a single daylight, excuse me, not a single daylight picture, sighting, nothing. He was right. all dark. And uh, had, uh, had some other good encounters with him, but nothing, nothing that I could you know, shot I could take or anything. Um, last year, last year was probably his biggest year, um, antler wise. And I had him coming in pretty consistent. I had wins, everything, um, figured out on when he was coming on certain trails. Um, (laughs) we had a really, really extreme cold front pulling in, uh, in November last year. Uh, my youngest daughter, she she had an, a heart appointment down at the One Children's Hospital. So obviously, you know that's that comes first. And mm-hmm. my wife and I were down there and in the hotel room uh, that morning of of her appointment. And I got trail camera pictures of him standing in front of my one stand in daylight. And that was that was all I had him last year <laughs> for daylight. And uh, I mean, whatever it yeah. happens, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, then this year, um, I really figured him out. Um, I knew kind of where he was. Got frustrated, like I said, with that fatigue early, earlier on this year, cause I couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I got on my feet and started walking. Yeah. Finally was able to track him down, um, and even we did some observation sits through the summer just mm-hmm. to see who's walking where, who's in what bean field, you know, like really went, like I said, went old school. Yeah. Went just, you know, yep. gave up a lot of that technology and threw it aside and was able to find him. The old school With way. my honor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, it was, we woke up, uh, opening day i sat a different part of the uh farm just just not to blow these deer out in the morning mm-hmm. um my wife had some really great encounters at at a different stand and then we hunted till about 11 o'clock yeah. and went back in about one o'clock i had the saddle i thought you know what i'm hunting the only pond the only source of water we have for like a thousand acres kind of thing, right? Yeah. So that if anything I'm gonna see, I know he's in the area, lightly up on this little hardwood ridge for the day and uh got set up, got comfy and about like I said, that was about one thirty I got settled in and about six o'clock I was just lounging in the saddle, you know, taking it all in, enjoying it, you know, reconnecting with reconnecting with hunting again almost you know after like i said those few years of that fatigue and and pressure that you put on yourself for no for no damn reason right right right. and uh so anyways lounging and all of a sudden everything just went eerily quiet okay hey hey we gotta stop we gotta stop here because i have a whole bunch of other questions about about this deer all right so you, you have seven years worth of history on him. Seven years. Seven years. Yes. Okay. You have six w- years worth of sheds from him, 
right? Yes, sir. Has he always been a six-pointer? Yes, yeah. always. Always. All he's ever been. Oh, sorry. Sorry. When he was when he was five and a half, he was a seven. Okay. And I say like a seven with like the old the old school redneck count. Like if you can hang a ring on it, yep, yep. it's a point. Okay. So he literally had a he had a G three on his right side one year. Yeah. And that was it. Okay. And other than that, he's just gotten he was heavier. Like he was he was a lot more mass and a bigger frame, but other than that, he has always just been a six point. Okay. Yeah. So as far as this deer's travel patterns over the years, has it mm-hmm. been like hard? Like if you were to mark every dot on a map of every time you've seen this deer, every trail camera picture that you have, have you, I mean, is this deer's core area tight is it big has it changed throughout the years has he done the same thing over and over and over it was until uh until he was five and a half and i missed him Mm -hmm. it had been one little block of woods um that had it's just a, a hardwoods that goes into a little like spruce swamp and then into this big heavy swampy area Until he was five and a half, that was his area. Yeah. And it was, he was so predictable, but yet so hard to hunt at the same time. I mean, we all know that these big deer, like you can pattern them as good as you want, but for some reason, these guys know that they are something special and they know when someone's there, Right. you know, for the most part. And, uh, but yeah, he would, he would be in the same area every year. Um, and then once I missed him, he actually shoved like seven kilometers down the road. Oh, wow. To a different, to a, to an entire different farm, still ours. And all of, all the land in between is still ours, but he shoved his and he, and then he never left. He just housed on a totally different farm. So he shifted. Yep. Huge. That's a huge, in my opinion, that's a pretty big shift. Yes. All right. Yeah, he left. Like I said, the rest of that year, he was nocturnal. He shed on that farm, and then he just, he shipped out. And then I could not find him, could not find him, and all of a sudden it was, you know, by chance, I'm going to go into this area that we really never hunt on this one farm. We've left it alone for, you know, four years, three, four years. And sure enough, there he was, seven kilometers down the road, and uh, and then, yeah, and then the story picked up late late that next year yeah so did you think he was dead i i didn't think he was i didn't think he was dead i knew he was still a healthy enough buck but uh i thought he might have might have just shifted off like if he would have went to the east he was on someone else's property Mm -hmm. so i figured by me missing him it just threw him off that much that he did ship off. Gotcha. Um, didn't figure, like I said, I didn't, I was hoping anyways, he wasn't, he wasn't dead, but, uh, cause he was still a healthy enough buck and you know, he wasn't super, super old, but, yeah. uh, but yeah. And then lucky, like I said, lucky enough bumped into him on one of our other properties. Okay. So, so out of curiosity, um, because sometimes what happens is a, a, a bigger, uh, a more mature buck, more dominant buck can kick a deer 
off uh, off uh, their core area, uh, or yeah. uh, there could be a power vacuum somewhere else where a bigger, big, nasty, mature buck dies and another buck moves in. Did you ever uh, witness, maybe via trail cameras or even uh, yourself, you know, shooting a, a deer and then another one coming back in? Did you ever witness any type of power vacuum, or do you think this might have been a reason why? He shifted and then stayed. Um. Yeah, I mean, it might have. It might have been. Uh, my dad shot a shot a super super mature buck, and he was he was definitely one of the bullies. Like he was he he'd push everybody around. Dad actually harvested him last, I guess, two years ago. So I think that's that could have been why. And he was like. This deer was never a real, a real dominant buck in my opinion. He was more of a subordinate. Like okay. he was, he was a big, big body deer, but he never seemed like he was. He was the most mature buck around, right. you know, or most dominant. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think when he trans transitioned into the other farm, there's definitely, you know bigger antler uh bigger antler deer and everything but i think it, it was more of an easy transition because like i said you know what i mean like he yeah. was more of a subordinate so he wasn't yeah. a threat he just he was easy to push around so i don't didn't think... like fighting probably no yeah. no so I mean, like i said dad did take one of the more mature deer off of that property a couple of years ago but it's not like he was going to fill that role anyways. And we yeah. do have a few deer on this property that, that are, you know, <laughs> they're definitely a lot bigger, bigger antler, yeah. antler deer. And, uh, he didn't bother. He, he hung around with a lot of the, a lot of the younger bucks. Yeah. Seemed like he kind of, you know, that was kind of his gig was training those up and comers almost. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah. you know, one thing that you know we all learn is just kind of different personalities of of deer especially if we're following a specific buck for several years you get to learn that uh you know who you might be able to rattle at who you don't think you should rattle at who would respond more to a grunt or or you know deer that just don't give a shit i mean i've I've run into a couple of deer throughout the years that you call at them you rattle at them even when they're scraping or they're in an aggressive posture they just, they're not going to come in any type of calling. And so, um, yeah, man, it, I just find that very interesting, like the subordinate versus the dominant buck and, and who, man, because I've seen, it's crazy. Last year I was, I was doing a late season hunt and this, I'm guessing just based off body, I'm going to guess them in that six to seven age range huge yeah. absolute huge body all the characteristics of a mature buck and he's probably packing a 120 inch eight point frame that's it and so yeah. and so if he would have walked by i definitely would have shot him he walked out into a cornfield and he beat the shit out of a 150 inch four-year-old just yeah. years back boom gone and it was it was it was something really fun to see that that uh, the how dominant how dominance works there. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yep, that's cool. And so, leading up to opening day, though, now we're going to kind of get fall back into the story. Leading up 
to opening day, were you getting mm-hmm. any type of uh, trail cam picks? I, you know, you said you went old school there and you you located him, but were did you get any like? Did you put any trail cameras out? Did you get the trail camera picks? What led you to say opening day is the day that I need to go after this buck? Um. So you know what I I did have a couple trail cameras in and around that pond uh, and in that hardwoods. I knew that he was he was the most frequent buck in that area. Yeah. Um. Definitely. Like I said, I hadn't got a picture of of any deer on that pond for at least two to two and a half weeks. Um, but I knew that that was, you know, from out throughout the summer, that that was where he was. That's where he was hanging out. Um, and I, like I said, it's heavy, heavy right. open there too. So I knew hot day. They're going to be hunkered in there. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, he was the most frequent buck in that area for the last month and a half. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it just kind of, I don't know, going off of that, that hunter's intuition mm-hmm. and gut, I guess too. Yep. No. Yep. And so yep. you got the right, obviously, you, I mean, you got the right wind direction, um, lay out this, this scenario right lay it lay out the wind direction lay out the you, you mentioned it was hot lay out the access uh lay out the entire map for us of where this deer was at where you thought he was coming and where you were going to position yourself okay so yeah going into that afternoon uh like i said it was like 32 degrees and there was actually zero wind uh it was calling for five kilometers so i mean if if we get a five kilometer wind on a forecast it's nothing there's nothing. Yeah. Um, and just for the people, to... I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just for the people, when yep. he says 32 degrees, it's not Fahrenheit, it's centigrade. So yep. we have to clear that story up right now because <laughs> 32 <laughs> degrees is cold right here, but not where you're at. It's blistering hot. No, you say this, yeah, that's like, that's like June, June weather. That's yeah. like, let's go to the beach and go swimming with like nothing on kind of thing yep. weather, right? Yep. So, yep. So yeah, it was it was supposed to supposed to be a uh, I guess it was a southwest wind um, supposed to pick up a little more towards the night. Um, so I mean it was perfect because they would have been bedded in the hardwoods to the southwest of me at this pond. Um, so access point to this, it's right off of a four wheeler trail. Like okay. we have our main access trail through this little chunk of hardwoods literally drive right by the pond on this four-wheeler trail so i threw the saddle on my back went in snuck my way in um got to a tree that i had picked out a month and a half ago up i went um and there was literally zero wind all day and it was just beaming hot um like i said it was yeah and then i knew that they like to hang out to the southwest of me Mm -hmm. usually uh they come around to the front so the east side of this pond yep um 
and I just, like I said, everything went eerily quiet about six o'clock, and I heard that rhythm, that footstep rhythm. Knew it wasn't uh, squirrels this time. I turned around in my saddle, and of course, you know, go figure. It's the old school thing. The time you're going to see a deer that you want to see, you are completely unprepared. I was lounging. <laughs> I was lounging in the in the saddle, like I was so laid back in the saddle, I couldn't even reach my bow. I was so sprawled out in this thing, right? And and I turn around slowly, and and there's this this young eight point standing coming in down down this ridge to the pond and i'm like oh man like i can't move now i'm wide open and all of a sudden he's in right underneath my saddle tree and everything like he's just picking away crunching at all these these acorns and uh a couple squirrels actually came down a tree were fighting spooked him a bit and then all of a sudden i could see these other lags coming walking through and as soon as this big guy stepped out, I knew exactly who he was. I've got all this history with them. And then it's like, okay, let's calm down here, you know, see if we can make this happen. And and uh, they settled down. They come right in, picking out the acorns. I was able to pull myself up, and I had to, like, end up getting all wrapped up in my main line in my saddle, and I had to spin my back around to the tree because they came in the exact opposite way to the pond as I thought they were going to. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually you know, went to the edge of the pond. I was able to get my bow. Um, he started drinking, and he was eight yards. Mm. And uh, I had to lean way up and out, lean way out. And, and uh, finally I found a hole. It was about eight inches through the trees, and it was perfect, right where I needed it to be. And uh, settled the pin on him pulled the trigger and he went 15 yards he went right through the pond up out of the back of the pond and expired like i said 15 yards away so it was and then it was you know i gotta hang my bow up and you know before i drop it so i'm shaking so damn bad now but (laughs) you know so it was it was definitely bittersweet you know it's it's always it's always a remorseful thing you know like you're you all of a sudden you have so much time and so many years invested in this in a certain deer and you know it's like it's like seeing a best friend you know move away or yeah. something it's it's but it was it was pretty awesome it yeah. was so nice to finally end that chapter and finish that story you know do you think the moment of truth when you're full draw putting your pin right on this buck do you think that because you had seven years worth of history with this deer, it made that moment more intense. A hundred percent. For me, it does. Mm-hmm. For me, it does because you know I've already had encounters with this deer. I've. You missed him. I mean, I missed him. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's like it's not only is it not only is it it was he my rebound buck for the reason of. Okay, I'm rebounding back from from missing him four four years ago. Yeah, you know. So, all right, let's not do this again. Let's not let's yeah. not reenact this part. But you know, like a rebound buck for so many reasons. For for my first buck in four years because of of all this, you know, 
stupid pressure that us as hunters put on ourselves and relying on certain certain things like you know like trail cameras and coming back from all that mm-hmm. there was just it, it was crazy how it was such an intense moment for so many reasons and and to push yourself through that mentally yeah. and calm yourself down quiet those you know voices and and yeah. focus on the task at hand making that ethical shot you know, for myself and for this deer that yeah. I've got so much history with. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So I guess long way answering your question. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that because you have so much history with a deer that it, to me, it's, it's more intense than they going into having a day walker come in yep. that you don't know and, and shooting, you know, it's, it's still intense, but it's a different level of intensity for me, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Whew. That's tough, man. I, I can remember <laughs> when, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard the shipwreck story that I've told on this podcast, you know, several times now, but mm-hmm. the moment of truth when that buck, it was, I feel like I would have had a better shot at killing that deer from just a nerve standpoint, if I'd never seen him before, yep. as opposed to having five years, four years of history with him, you know, having several encounters with him and things like that. And, and I, dude, I'm telling you right now, I blacked out. I just was like, I see him. I knew it was him. I yep. grabbed my bow. I drew back. And then it was just lights off until yep. I saw him spin around with my arrow in him. And yep. ultimately I didn't get him, but, I mean, I, I was just, I was a wreck, an absolute wreck when he showed up. And I think a lot of that also has to do with experience right now. I'm way more comfortable around mature whitetails than I was 10, you know, 12 years ago, because that was, that would have been 2010. So I have all that other, all that experience under my belt now where, you know, they say act that, that whole notion when it comes to winning a championship they say act like you've been there before and so yep. the more times you've been there before it does it does make it it does make it easier <laughs> yeah 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 and that's the thing it is funny because like i've i've been fortunate enough to harvest a lot of great deer you know i got you know five years ago i i shot an eight point that i'd been after for for a while and you know and he's 170 172 inch Eight pointer, you no, know, yeah, just Holy heavy mass. He's he's a you know great deer, and I've been fortunate enough to, to harvest a lot of deer, you know, you know in that one fifty to one seventy class. But uh, yeah, it, none of them were as intense as as this buck, you know, just yeah. because of like I said, you know, having that that deer that I've had a story with for you know yeah. seven eight years. It's it's. Yeah. You know, it definitely made it. It it. I was full draw on this deer for a minute and a half. I'd say almost two minutes, just to calm myself down, you know, to make yeah. sure I was settled in enough. And yeah, like I said, it's uh, once that luminoc hit him, it was just yeah. That's all. Awesome. I That's knew. Good feeling, so. man. Great feeling. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I gotta. I gotta ask. Did you measure him at all? I uh, I really haven't yet. He's still drying. Yeah. Like he's honestly sitting on. He's a six point that's sitting on probably a. I'd say a hundred and forty, hundred and you know, 
140, 150 class frame. Yep. But, uh, but just, yeah, no, I, I haven't yet. Um, he just huge forks. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know, 12 inch G2s kind of thing. Right. Like, yeah, that's awesome. It's, that's yeah. awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, man, congratulations on kicking off, uh, this season the right way. Uh, what else do you have? I mean, is, are you able to hunt at all anymore or are you done for the season? So, uh, in Ontario here, we are fortunate enough. So we, we don't, we only get one tag per year per hunter. Yep. Um, but in our part of Ontario, we can party hunt with, with archery equipment. Okay. Um, so, you know, as long as, um, as long as my my buddy Josh or my wife Erica or my mom or dad are, are out, we can all we can all party hunt as long as we're within five kilometer radius okay. of each other. Okay. So I mean, yes, I've still got hunting I can do, but to be honest with you, I don't mind taking the sidelines. Yeah. I don't mind hitting the bench and warming it and yeah. uh, and allowing everyone else and trying to get everyone else on on good deer. Right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm happy. It's uh, it's definitely a weird feeling, you know, being First done this early. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'd like it or not, man. I don't know if well, I'd like I, it. I, I don't. I kind of don't. You know, I like those cold fronts. I I fiend off of on hunting snowstorms. Like I, that is my favorite, and that is definitely by far by like, I'd say, by 15, 20 degrees, the hottest. I've ever the warmest day I've ever killed a deer. Yeah. Usually we got a foot of snow on the ground. That's when I love love to hunt, right? Yeah. So yeah. like he said, taking the sidelines and potentially not hunting the rut this year. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's a little You might weird, have to go but... somewhere else. I mean, can you go to a different unit in Ontario or go over I don't know, Saskatchewan no, and do something like that? I can, um, but a lot of that is like you know. Then you've got to have, then you got to have an outfitter go with an oh, outfitter. Okay. A lot of a lot of provinces, a lot of the other provinces, I can't just go and buy an over over the counter tag. Understood. Um, okay. So it's yeah, it's definitely kind of a weird system. But like I said, you know, we can party hunt with archery equipment here. So there will be the odd day that that will definitely get out still but gotcha. if gotcha. not i mean hey man i i am totally happy and and humbled by harvesting this deer so yep if i don't get out again i'm good man so it's and it's neat because next year my my son my oldest son he turns 12 so we can get our our hunting license at the age of 12 in ontario awesome and awesome. uh so yeah that, that was another kind of special thing about this year is this was my my last hurrah my last solo year right yep until yep so next year it's all about it's all about getting him getting him out there and, and awesome making him making him you know be able to be thankful for all the small things and making him fall in love with with what we've fallen in love with out Absolutely. there in, in the woods and and the pursuit of these animals it's just you know, show him how incredible it is. Yes. So that's a fact, my friend. Well, Mr. Reynolds, man, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and, and talk to us and share your story. Um, 
Well, I would say good luck the rest of the season, but <laughs> I'll pass that luck on to uh, your family, mem- friends and family members. Uh, good luck to them. And uh, man, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth, Full Sneak Gear. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Uh, huge shout out to Curtis, man. Awesome story. Good luck the rest of the season to you and yours. And uh, to all of you, man, I am telling you, I hope all of you slay giants this year. I hope all of you fill the freezer. I hope all of you get what you truly want out of the hunting season, whether that's spending time with friends and family, whether that's uh, disconnecting and clearing your, your, your mind and rejuvenating your soul, or... Uh, at the end of the day, man, uh, just do what you want. Do what makes you happy. And uh, and uh, that's it, man. So good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your damn safety harness. And we'll talk to you on Friday.